But my hope is that by helping you focus on the really important problematic things in your foods, seed oils, corn, canola, sunflower, safflower, peanut, soybean, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial sweeteners, if you get rid of those things, I think you will absolutely thrive in a bigger way. My kids are tolerable again. I love this review. Check this out on mood, memory, and brain from heart and soil supplements. This past year, I had a baby, and when he was three months, we moved to a new town away from all my friends and family. I've been extremely isolated and lonely, which threw me into a bad depression. I became overly exhausted and so agitated with my one and four-year-old that I couldn't stand the sounds of their voices, didn't want to be touched by them. Everything they did irritated the shit out of me. Three days on these supplements, memory and brain, and something just clicked. I cherish them again. I can laugh through all of the poop and tantrums. And honestly, I just can't get enough of them now. My brain changed. I guess eating something else's brain was the ticket. Not to mention my energy is better. I can't praise these supplements more. I'm taking the recommended doses of moon memory and brain plus beef organs and bone matrix. That is one of the coolest reviews I have ever heard, guys. Just the fact that at Heart and Soil, we could change this mom's experience of her family, which should be amazing and beautiful and to be cherished by providing her with better nutrition. It just, it really makes me feel like we're doing something good at Heart and Soil and that some of my work has been beneficial to someone. So it's freaking amazing. And I'm stoked to read that review. You can find Moon Memory and Brain and all of our supplements at heartandsoil.co. That's .co. I'm also super excited to tell you guys two things about Heart and Soil. Number one, all of the supplements that are eligible are now informed sports certified, meaning they've all been third-party tested and they passed. Um, whole package did not pass because that one has naturally occurring testosterone, but Moon Memory and Brain, Beef Organs, Bone Matrix, these all passed informed sports testing, third-party for purity. And thing number two, Heart and Soil Supplements and I do an Animal-Based 30, a free 30-day challenge every year starting in January. Go to Animal-Based 30 to sign up. Tons of resources there. Get your year started off right. On this week's podcast, I do a year in review. I wanted to go through some of my favorite podcasts from this past year and do a high-level summary on this one. It's not super technical, but I do give you podcast numbers and titles if you wanna go back and dive down deeper into these episodes in case you missed them. 2022 was a great year. I learned a ton this year. I always try to grow and learn and be humble. And I had some amazing guests on that I'll share in this podcast. And so I hope that this recap of 2022 gives you an overview, helps you learn stuff on a more accelerated basis and gives you some things to make you curious to go back to 2022 and dig in deeper to my podcast. If this is beneficial for you guys, please leave me a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and share it with someone that you think might benefit from hearing about this information, which is all free. I want to give a shout out to my sponsors who make this podcast possible. I want to start with my friends at Kalina Sea Salt. You can go to drpaulsalt.com to get your free bag of this stuff. It's microplastic free. And that's important because so much sea salt has microplastics in them these days. Eight million tons of plastic garbage into the ocean a bummer, that's where your table salt comes from. The garbage breaks down into plastic pieces called microplastics. Salt from the ocean crystallizes around the microplastics and that's where your salt gets coming from. New study shows that microplastics are in 90% of all sea salt, but not Kalima sea salt. It's hand harvested in this bay in Mexico. I think it's the Kalima salt flats in Mexico by Salineros. So you're supporting local um, handmade, hand harvested sea salt. You're supporting a local economy in Mexico from these Salineros. It's super freaking delicious, it's crunchy. It's an amazing finishing salt. I think it's some of the best salt I've ever had in my life. 
go to drpaulsalt.com to get your free bag. Also, I'm going to give a shout out to my friends at shirttailcreekfarm.com. I love supporting farms that are regenerative. You can follow them at Shirttail Creek Farm. I actually just recommended them to one of my friends the other day. You can use the promo code CarnivoreMD20 to get 20 bucks off your first order with Shirttail. Like I said, they're a regenerative farm, grass feeding, grass finishing, regeneratively raising, which means rotational grazing in Brenham, Texas. They're run by Sam and Carolyn Moffat. They're great people. I've met them in person. They have beef, pork, pasture-raised chicken, corn and soy-free pasture-raised eggs, which are crazy orange. Check them out. And Sam himself eats an animal-based diet, runs the farm with a focus on serving the needs of people wanting to eat animal-based. They're happy to announce they are now offering flat shipping rates across the entire lower 48. So you can get Shirttail Creek Farm anywhere in the 48 states in America. Go to shirttailcreekfarm.com. That's two two T's, not two T's. Two T's in shirttailcreekfarm.com or on Instagram at shirttailcreekfarm. Use the code CarnivoreMD20 for 20 bucks off. Send them a message and let them know I sent you. Happy to support those guys. I love them. Last but not least, I want to give a shout out to my friends at Bond Charge. They are at Bond Charge, B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com. They have blue light blocking glasses, the EMF blocking mat that my computer is on that I'm going to get for all the people in my life this Christmas. If they're listening to this podcast, they just had their Christmas presents spoiled. And they have EMF uh, blocking earbuds, ear air earbuds with wires because AirPods put a whole bunch of EMFs in your brain. I'm not a fan of them. Um, They're having a Boxing Day sale, which I think is apparently what they call Christmas in the UK. Anyway, Christmas sale, December 26th to January the 2nd. You can get 25% off site-wide until the 2nd of January. Go to bondcharge.com and you can use the code CarnivoreMD to save 15% off. I don't know if they'll put those two amounts of discounts together, but you should try them. And if you miss this, you can use CarnivoreMD to save 15% off after that sale, but you should go to bondcharge.com, get on those discounts. That's it, you guys, on to the podcast. And so, my friends, we have come to the end of 2022. On this podcast, I wanted to recap my favorite, most impactful podcasts, on me at least, and perhaps on you guys, throughout this year. I want to do a high-level recounting of these podcasts and remind you guys of these if you want to go back and listen to them in more detail. But these are what I think of as my favorite, most impactful podcast from 2022. I've been doing this podcast now for, I guess, three-plus years. I've got almost 200 episodes, and I continue to learn. I learn every episode. I learn every year. And my thinking about a lot of these topics continues to evolve and grow. I try really hard not to become stale, not to become calcified and ossified and fossilized and stuck in my ideas. So with that, let's get to my recap of 2022 podcasts. So the first podcast that I wanted to review and remind you guys of from this past year was episode 148 on whether the blue zones are bullshit or not. I get this question all the time, which I think is a good thing because it means there are new people finding the work that I do. And so they're continuing to ask. There are so many topics like this that I think are present within the colloquial sphere of our uh, generalized thought patterns, the zeitgeist. And this one comes up a lot. And the question is, what about the people in the blue zones who live a really long time, doesn't that prove that plant-based diets are good for humans? 
how do I say this succinctly and yet clearly? Blue zones are bullshit. They're just five regions of the world that Dan Butner and a team from National Geographic chose to call blue zones. They are regions where there is some evidence that some people live longer than the average person in that country or region of the world. But there are so many regions that could qualify as, quote, blue zones that were left out. And there are nuances about many of the blue zones that were left out of the discussions. So let me just break those down quickly without belaboring this, because I want to keep this podcast high level. You can go back to episode 148 if you want to hear my full in-depth breakdown. The blue zones, according to the traditional canonical view, are Icaria in Greece, Sardinia in Italy, Okinawa in Japan, Loma Linda in Southern California, and the Nicoya region of Costa Rica. I'll start with the Nicoya region of Costa Rica because I happen to have lived there for over a year. And I will tell you this, the Nicoya region of Costa Rica is only a blue zone for males. So I don't know why they chose this region. It's not a blue zone for females, meaning females in the Nicoya region of Costa Rica, which happens to be part of the Guanacaste Peninsula, don't live any longer than the average Costa Rican. If you look at the Nicoyan males in Costa Rica, they generally eat more animal fat and more animal foods relative to the average Costa Rican. And yet they live longer than the average Costa Rican. And yet the general narrative regarding blue zones is that they're somehow plant-based or substantiated plant-based diet. So the Nicoya region of Costa Rica doesn't really fit the bill for any of this and doesn't make sense to be included. There are some interesting reasons that these males might live longer, but doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in any way to corroborate a plant-based narrative. Sardinia in Italy, Icaria in Greece are both places where people are well known to eat a lot of meat. There is a dish from Sardinia called Sarda pig, which is famous. And in Icaria, they eat a ton of meat. There are shepherds and people who take care of animals in the hills who live a long time relative to the general Greek population. And they eat more meat than the general Greek population. So I don't know how Dan Butner could possibly pretend that Sardinia or Icaria are plant-based in any way, shape, or form. People eat meat in all these places that I've mentioned. Okinawa in Japan is a place that people eat tons of pork and they eat probably more meat than the general Japanese population. When there have been studies done of Japanese longevity and looking at Japanese centenarians, people who live beyond 100 or super centenarians, people live, live even longer than that, especially looking at the Okinawa region, the researchers found, and all of these references will be in that podcast, which you can go back and listen to, that there were no centenarians among vegetarians in Okinawa. So there is really no excess longevity in vegetarians in Okinawa from what I can tell based on the literature, and they eat tons of meat because they are Buddhist, and that religious affiliation doesn't shun meat like other uh, religious affiliations in Japan. So we have Okinawa, Sardinia, Ikaria, and Nicoya, four of the five blue zones where the claims that this is somehow connected with plant-based diets or abstinence or decreased amounts of meat make absolutely no sense. The last blue zone is in Southern California. It's Loma Linda. And the crazy thing about Loma Linda is that this is where there's a large community of Seventh-day Adventists. This is a religious community where drinking and smoking are shunned and vegetarianism, sometimes even veganism, are encouraged. Now, the average Loma Linden resident does live longer than the average Californian. But is this related to an absence of meat in their diet or is it possibly related to smoking and drinking less than the average Californian? 
There are parallel studies of California Mormons who do not congregate in one specific area of California that show that they have the same amount of excess longevity as Loma Lindens, but they don't shun meat. They also live on average about seven years longer than the uh, rest of Californians. So Loma Lindens may live seven years longer than Californians, but so do Mormons, but the Mormons eat lots of meat. But what do the Mormons and the Loma Lindens have in common? Well, it seems that these fervent religious groups who shun alcohol and tobacco tend to have beneficial health effects associated with that. That's a commonality between Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists. This isn't really that surprising. It's just a great example of how the literature can be twisted and conflated to fit a certain narrative um, that is being advanced by this group, which doesn't make any sense. Now, do I think that having community, doing things that you care about, meaning in your life, finding happiness, avoiding stress, perhaps living a low-tech life and going to sleep when the sun goes down, getting up when the sun comes up. Do I believe that these things could improve longevity? Absolutely. And those things tend to occur in these blue zones as well. So to say that blue zones are in any way, shape, or form associated with plant-based diets or that this substantiates the notion that a plant-based diet is good for longevity is ridiculous and is laughable at this point. I think there are other things humans can do to improve their longevity, but I actually believe that eating meat and organs are critical factors of health for humans long-term. I did another episode specifically on longevity later in the year, in 2022. That episode was 187. It is titled Meat Versus Plants for Longevity, in which I go deep down the rabbit hole of caloric restriction and the mainstream arguments in the longevity community, and I give you my take on them, which is not very positive, at a high level, there really isn't much good evidence that caloric restriction is beneficial for people unless you are calorically restricting garbage food. So in both animal studies and primate studies, which are probably the closest thing we have to an ongoing study that might give us insight for humans, when animals are fed diets that are species appropriate, specifically I'm thinking about a set of parallel studies with rhesus macaw monkeys, pretty close to humans in terms of primate evolution, the monkeys that were fed garbage diets benefited from caloric restriction. The monkeys that were fed evolutionarily consistent diets had no benefit from caloric restriction, may have even seen harm. So the idea that caloric restriction, excess fasting, I'm even doubtful these days that intermittent fasting is really that beneficial for humans, especially if you see a paired rise in glucose or other stress hormones when you are limiting your eating window on a daily basis and a paired parallel fall in testosterone and rise in cortisol, changing the testosterone to cortisol ratio. So that is my position on all of those things. I think that humans should minimize stress, minimize stress to your system from um, your food inputs, meaning don't restrict calories if you can just eat better food and don't eat in too small a window if you really want to thrive and be vital. Remember that a lot of our longevity has to do with how strong our bones are, how well our brains function, and how many muscles we have. If you limit calories, or you limit protein, or you limit any of these things too much, both in a absolute measure or a temporal stance, you will suffer from all of those things in terms of your resilience, your strength, and your ability to recover. And I think those are very bad things for humans long-term. So blue zones, the concept makes absolutely no sense to me. The mainstream, quote, longevity community is that an oxymoron. I think their arguments are pretty weak when you think about it. And 
most of the people in the longevity community advancing those arguments don't look very good. I wouldn't want to look like them. And I don't think they really have any merit with what they're saying. I think they're actually being quite misleading. And many of the things they're suggesting will harm you in the long run. Open discussion is always best. Um, unfortunately, many people in that community are unwilling to have those open discussions. So we have to just share our opinions and uh, see what you guys benefit from. Let's move on. So episode 153 was an episode on fruit and whether it is good or bad for humans. This is really a discussion of whether fructose as part of sucrose in food form, because you're going to get some fructose in food, but most of it is tied up in a disaccharide like sucrose in the food. And there's not a ton of free fructose floating around in fruit. Fructose is present, but the majority of it is tied up in a disaccharide. So regardless, fructose is present in our foods and whether fructose is harmful for humans, either alone or as part of a disaccharide like sucrose is a very interesting conversation. And I spent a lot of time this year actually <laughs> talking about this. I did friendly conversations with Thomas DeLauer. I had conversations talking uh, about my concerns with the ketogenic diet and why I stopped doing a ketogenic diet. And I had a friendly conversation with Ken Berry in which I defended fruit and honey. I'm hoping that Ken will um, do a second part to that where I can really ask him some of the hard questions on the dangers of keto, which we didn't get to in that first podcast. The Ken Berry episode was 189. The Thomas DeLauer episode was 173. And my thoughts on the dangers of a ketogenic diet was 172. So when I'm thinking about fruit, I'm thinking about a couple of things. I'm thinking about, are there any good studies with fruit that suggest it's harmful to humans? And I don't find any in the literature. What I do find are studies like the ones I've spoken about in my podcast 153 on fruit by Rick Johnson, showing that in a hypocaloric paired model, feeding people fruit in the absence of high fructose corn syrup or processed sugars did not get rid of, did not abrogate any of the benefits associated with removing processed sugars, processed fructose from their diets. That is to say that people still lost weight. They actually lost more weight in the hypocaloric diets when they were eating fructose in the form of fruit to the tune of 100 plus grams of carbohydrates from fruit, over 400 calories a day. They still had the benefits, the metabolic benefits, the weight loss benefits. So fruit was not harmful to those people. There's also plenty of studies like I've spoken about on this podcast, red orange juice, improving endothelial function, et cetera, showing that fruit or fruit juice, which contains fructose, doesn't seem to be harmful to humans at all. I did a short video at the end of this year where I spoke about hemoglobin A1C. There was some discussion at the end of the year from the keto community who I appreciate, but um, often find myself disagreeing with more often than not these days, that hemoglobin A1C was not a measure that would show you fructose glycation and that there was some idea that fructose in your blood was glycating proteins or lipids and causing problems. Well, in that response video, I showed that in animal studies, which would have the same chemistry by which a sugar, a carbohydrate, a saccharide molecule would glycate a protein or a lipid, when you feed rats tons of fructose, you see increases in fructosamine and hemoglobin A1C. So I think that if you're worried about fructose glycation, those will be reflected in fructosamine and hemoglobin A1C in your blood work. I don't think those are a problem. And there are actually um, meta-analyses like one I show in a short YouTube video that you can find on my channel that show that when fructose is used either as a substitute um, or um, to replace other foods in the diet, that hemoglobin A1C actually goes down. This is a meta-analysis of controlled studies. So I don't see any good evidence that fructose in the form of fruit is harmful for humans, nor is honey. And there are studies in 
diabetics and cardiovascular disease, suggesting that the consumption of honey actually improves measures like fasting glucose and fasting insulin. It's important to note that in those studies, A1C goes up, meaning that, yeah, blood glucose goes up if you eat honey, whether you're diabetic or not. But what we're really worried about is the fasting blood sugar and the fasting insulin, which are giving us a sense of insulin sensitivity. Now, do I think a diabetic should be eating 200 grams of honey a day? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You probably don't need that many calories. But can a diabetic person have a tablespoon of honey a day? Yeah. And I think that even for diabetics, having some carbohydrates in the diet is probably beneficial. Going keto, zero carb with diabetes, may improve metrics of insulin sensitivity if you're looking at fasting insulin in the short term, which is great. But if you do that long enough, I think you are going to run into metabolic effects such as persistent insulin resistance. You can have physiologic insulin resistance, which can become problematic long-term. If you do it, you're going to have declines in your hormones. You're going to have electrolyte imbalances. All of these things I spoke about in the episode where I talked about the dangers of a ketogenic diet 172 and why I stopped doing it. So I think that within the keto community, there's a lot of people who are really well-intentioned, but they're not talking about the downsides of keto and there ends up being too much dogmatism in this community. And I think that that hurts people in the end long-term. I believe strongly that people can improve diabetes, insulin resistance, obesity with carbohydrates in their diet from start to finish. And the keys in my mind would be two big keys. And I've spoken about this. These will not be surprising to anyone who's listened to my podcast. The keys would be removing seed oils, which I spoke about a lot this year, and removing high fructose processed sugars. I don't think you have to remove things like honey, eat them in moderation. I don't think you have to remove things like fruit, eat that in moderation, or even fresh squeezed fruit juice, red orange juice is beneficial for the endothelium, as I mentioned earlier. Eat them in moderation. And uh, I think that things will be better long-term in terms of hormones, electrolytes, sleep for many of you who are diabetic or insulin resistant. Now, um, I should also mention that if you have questions about how to create an animal-based diet in terms of your macros, we put a free animal-based calculator at carnivoremd.com. In that calculator, we probably should have put an option for diabetes. I think if you have diabetes or obesity, you could decrease the carbohydrates somewhat, but we do have something in there for your activity level. And so if you're very active, having some more carbohydrates is probably a good thing. So if you have questions about what macros to start with on an animal-based diet, check that out at carnivoremd.com. If you really want to get down in a granular fashion into how to construct an animal-based diet, you can join us, join me and Heart and Soil Supplements for our Animal Base 30 Challenge. Go to animalbase30.com to sign up. It starts January the 1st. It's a free challenge. There are tons of resources and online community and health guides there that for free to help you create an animal-based diet and really tailor it to your needs in a more individualized fashion. So Carnivore MD for a free animal-based calculator, or even better, join me and Heart and Soil Supplements at animalbased30.com, our free 30-day animal-based challenge starting January the 1st. If you're listening to this podcast and asking yourself, what the heck is an animal-based diet? Next week's podcast will be for you, but I'll give you a short preview if this is a new term for you. An animal-based diet is a term that I've used to encapsulate a way of thinking about the human diet that I've arrived at after years of research, writing a book about the carnivore diet, personal experiences, working with patients and clients to do this. And it's a diet that is kind of based on a carnivore diet. It starts with meat and organs. But as I found personally, and so many of you have found adding some carbohydrates, especially in what I believe are the least toxic forms, fruit and honey into your diet, or even dairy, raw dairy, um, this results in a kind of a sweet spot where you're getting lots of nutrients from meat and organs 
And you're also getting carbohydrates so you don't run into hormone deficits, sleep problems, mood problems, longer term physiologic insulin resistance becoming problematic for humans, electrolyte problems, et cetera, that often accompany zero carb or very low carb restricted diets long-term. Those are the things I ran into. That's the reason that I stopped a strict carnivore diet. In, in somewhat hilarious fashion, it seems like there are all sorts of people in the um, unfortunately overly dogmatic carnivore community who are speculating all sorts of reasons that I failed a carnivore diet. And it's just kind of comical that they don't just ask me or, or, or do any thinking about it. They're so busy defending they're kind of rigid thinking. I think they're all very intelligent and well-intentioned, but they're so busy defending their rigid thinking that they just don't even ask me and they're wrong. I didn't fail because I was eating too many organs. I, I failed, quote unquote, a carnivore diet because it's not good for humans long-term in my opinion. And that's a belief that I have based on both my experiences, the experience of people I've worked with and the literature that I've talked about so far. One important thing that I didn't mention that I think is important to point out is that ketogenic diets raise an advanced glycation end product called methylglyoxal. In the short video I did um, responding to claims that fruit and honey had hidden dangers on YouTube, we can put a link to it in the description for this video. Uh, I show data, I show studies showing that ketogenic diets raise methylglyoxal, I believe it's 2.2x over baseline. So over 100% they're raising um, methylglyoxal. And then I show other studies suggesting that methylglyoxal is both oxidative stressor and pretty harmful for humans from a metabolic perspective. So I haven't heard many people in the ketogenic diet really own up to the fact that their metabolic state is raising an advanced glycation end product. And I think it has problems for humans long-term. Short-term, maybe. And for short-term, I would say a week or two, but much beyond that, I think limiting carbohydrates is just going to be much more negative than it is positive for many of you. And as I said, I think there are many ways and many ways to construct a diet that have moderate amounts of carbohydrates that will not be harmful um, for you, that will not stall weight loss or insulin sensitivity or any of those things. So back to the animal-based diet, meat and organs, fruit and honey, which are the least toxic sources of carbohydrates in my belief. They have very much lower plant defense chemicals. That's how plants make fruit. They make it sweet, they make it colorful. They want you to eat it as opposed to the leaves and stems and roots and seeds of plants, which have lots of defense chemicals. So that is an ideology that really came from my carnivore roots. And I have continued to believe that vegetables are not great for humans. Listen, if you're thriving, don't change a thing about your diet, eat the vegetables. But I think many of you would do better without them from a GI perspective, gas bloating, constipation, diarrhea, autoimmune perspectives, rashes, mood perspectives, sleep, uh, overall strength, energy, recovery. If you haven't tried cutting out vegetables, this being leaves and stems and roots and seeds from your diet, might be something worthwhile to give it a shot. And as I said, Animal Base 30 will do that for you. It's an animal-based diet, animalbase30.com to get signed up for that. I hope you guys will join us for that free challenge starting in January. On episode 155, I talked about one of my favorite topics, testosterone, and hormones. I've been thinking about this a lot for myself and for many of you. It seems to be a popular topic in the community. So I talked about how to maximize your testosterone. And conversely, in the past, I've talked about how to tank your testosterone. The evidence from the literature seems to suggest that not getting saturated fat is a good way to tank your testosterone. So get saturated fat. Don't fear saturated fat from animal foods. That's a good nutrient that you need to make testosterone. And like I said, there are meta-analyses showing that Higher amounts of saturated fat, especially from animal foods, tallow, butter, ghee, animal fat in your steak or your ground beef is going to be associated with higher levels of testosterone. Getting enough sleep is freaking 
essential for testosterone. I will be doing some uh, content on my Instagram about my nighttime routine, but I'll tell you guys how it works. I eat dinner a few hours before I go to sleep to give it time to digest. And after the sun has gone down, I will turn all my devices to red light or low blue light modes, both my phone and my computer, if I'm even using them. I try to spend lots of time winding down, listening to audiobooks, meditating, journaling, writing without electronics. Then I go to sleep pretty early. I often go to sleep at 8.30 because I get up at 5 a.m. to go surf every morning. Now, this is my circadian rhythm because I live really close to the equator now, and the days and nights are pretty consistent throughout the year. I know many of you live at higher or lower latitudes, whether you're in the Northern or Southern hemisphere respectively, but um, your days and nights may vary at different times of the year. That's fine, respect that, but I think that if you are not getting enough sleep, and by that I mean eight hours, those of you who think you can thrive on four to six are just deluding yourselves, trust me. Uh, If you're not getting eight hours of sleep, you are cheating yourself in terms of all of your sex hormones, whether you're a woman and you're thinking estrogen or you're a man and you're thinking testosterone is your main sex hormone. And you can see that on your blood work. You can see that on things like LH and FSH, which will go down if you're not sleeping enough. And you'll see that on cortisol. That cortisol to testosterone ratio is critical to really tell if you are being optimal. I did talk about my labs multiple times this year. I showed my blood work both to show uh, as best I can that I'm not taking any TRT. I'm not taking growth hormone. I'm not taking any um, medications or supplements other than heart and soil, desiccated organs. Um, I don't do any hormone replacement, and I'm a 45-year-old male who has a robust testosterone and a pretty darn good level of free testosterone. You can see that in the Bloodwork podcasts, which are specifically 171 is my July Bloodwork podcast, 179 is my August Bloodwork podcast, and 193 is my December Bloodwork podcast. So in those podcasts, I show you those three times that I've had my Bloodwork done in the last five months. One of the takeaways from the most recent set of blood work was that perhaps I should be thinking about how to get my iron levels down a little bit. My ferritin was creeping up above 300. I had a couple of iron saturations or transferrin sats that were in the 40s, almost to 50. I think I even had one that was above 50. I don't have hemochromatosis from my genetics based on 23andMe analysis of signal and nucleotide polymorphisms, but I do have a lot of iron in my body. I've compared this to some of my friends labs who eat similar amounts of meat to me over similar amounts of time and their ferritins are much lower. So there probably are other genetics that I have that make me a little bit more of an avid retainer of iron. And I started doing some phlebotomy. I don't think that this means red meat isn't good for humans. I think it means there's an intersection of my genetics with my environment. Maybe my ancestors didn't get as much red meat, but I still find that red meat, specifically ground beef for the majority of my meat and organs, being heart and liver, either fresh or desiccated, are the best sources of nutrients I can get versus things like chicken or fish, which are often much more contaminated um, because their diets are not as good, because there are heavy metals, microplastics, perfluoroalkylated substances. So I really believe that red meat, that ruminant animals, whether it's deer or elk or lamb or bison or cow, are the best sources of nutrition for humans. And for me, that just means every week now, I've started doing little micro phlebotomies of about 60 mLs. You can hear that in the December podcast. I'm going to keep track of my sex hormone binding globulin. I would recommend that most of you get your ferritin levels checked and look at your sex hormone binding globulin levels in connection with that. I'm not 100% convinced that my SHBG has trended high because of the 
creeping levels of iron, but it's an ongoing experiment. I'll keep you guys posted. Again, I'm always trying to learn and explore with regard to this. And I think all of our bodies will have some individual genetics that may make some of these things better or worse. The obvious question here is, Paul, why don't you just eat more fish and chicken or pork? And I just answered that. I think that these foods will lead to accumulation of other problematic substances. Chicken is fed corn and soy, which means that the chicken fat is going to be much higher in linoleic acid than I would like in my diet. I try to eat a very low linoleic acid diet. Those of you who have heard my seed oils podcast know why I do that. Pork is the same way. Pork is very high in linoleic acid relative to what you would find in a free living pig. So chickens and farms, pork on farms have much more linoleic acid on the order of three to four X what you'd find in a wild chicken or pig respectively. Specifically, I'm thinking of 15 to 20% linoleic acid in the fat of chickens and pigs versus four to 5% in wild equivalents. And that's a lot of linoleic acid in the fat of those animals. And I don't really want that much linoleic acid in my cells. We know that polyunsaturated fatty acids accumulate in our bodies, especially in the adipose tissue. There are good studies showing that the higher the amount of linoleic acid in your adipose tissue, the higher the rate of CVD that's associated. Again, those are just associational studies, but I think they're quite compelling. And I've done tons of podcasts on seed oils, why I think they're harmful for humans, both from a cardiovascular disease perspective, a dementia perspective, an overall nutrition perspective, et cetera. That's something I've spoken about in depth, but I don't think that eating chicken and pork in 2022 is great and fish is full of heavy metals. So I remain on a predominantly red meat diet. And I just use the phlebotomy as an adjunct for that. I don't think a perfect diet exists. That's probably something that I should state very clearly. There's probably no perfect diet for any humans, including myself or you. We're all just trying to navigate this in the best way that we can feel as good as possible, perform as well as possible in our daily lives to do as much good as we can in our lives and avoid any decrepitude or disease as long as possible. So we can enjoy the people we care about in our lives and enjoy doing things uh, for me, the most impactful things are spending time with friends and family in nature and being out in the ocean and surfing, which is why I live in Costa Rica. Circling back to the testosterone podcast, which was 155. Um, I do think food nutrients are critical, zinc, copper. Most of those nutrients are found in meat and organs. Again, if you're not getting organs in your life, you're just missing out on the unique nutrients they provide. Um, and hardened soil can help you with that. You should join us for Animal Base 30. The last thing I'll say on this is that one of the interesting things that happened with hardened soil this year was we had all of our supplements tested for purity with a third-party lab to attain informed sports certification. And every single supplement passed except one. So that means all of our heart and soil supplements that are eligible for informed sports certification are now certified. They're, they've passed a third-party analysis, but the one that did not pass was whole package, which contains testicles and contains naturally occurring testosterone and testosterone metabolites, go figure. So if you're a professional athlete or someone that's going to be drug tested, I would avoid whole package or actually I would avoid eating testicle that could potentially cause a positive drug test. And I would just eat the other organs, heart, liver, kidney, spleen, pancreas to give your body the nutrients that it needs to make your own endogenous testosterone. So be aware of that with whole package. For those of you who have waning or low levels of testosterone, there are incredible anecdotes and testimonials from eating raw testicle or desiccated testicle in the form of whole package at the Heart and Soil website. And that may be very beneficial for you. So I did a video on that uh, on YouTube called Eating Testicle Will Soon Be Banned from Professional Sports because I don't think many professional athletes are gonna eat testicle, but I know there are some of you who listen to this podcast who may be drug tested and have probably tried it. And um, these testicle does contain 
bioactive forms of testosterone with some degree of oral bioavailability. And this could show up on a drug test. And it's crazy to me to think that a food that the Mongols treasured and our ancestors have treasured for thousands of years, thousands of generations is not something you can eat, but that's the world we live in. Um, it's very different than a synthetic testosterone analog or synthetic testosterone that people are injecting, um, but it is, it is possible. So that's an interesting thing about whole package from a testosterone perspective. Episode 156 was about mental health and my perspective, which is different than much of the mainstream, that you can improve your mental health disorder simply through diet and lifestyle. I don't think depression, anxiety, um, bipolar, even psychotic disorders like schizophrenia are different in their roots than many of the autoimmune and chronic diseases we see today in humans. Certainly there are a small fraction, I would say less than 1% of individuals who are displaying any relative pathology that have a genetic predisposition that is inescapable from this pathology. But I think that 99% of people with depression, et cetera, in the psychiatric world could significantly improve and change the experience of their life by changing their diet. I don't think they have to go keto. I want to get Chris Palmer back on the podcast in January. I think that a ketogenic diet anecdotally based on his experience at Mass General McLean has been quite helpful for many people when they can stick to it. The ability to adhere to it has been much more difficult than I think he would hope. And I believe that adding some carbohydrates would not be harmful to them. I think that the problem lies in the mitochondria and ketones can provide an alternative fuel to help bypass impaired electron transport and glycolysis. But there are other ways to improve the metabolic health of the mitochondria very quickly. Specifically, I'm thinking of avoiding things like seed oils and excess linoleic acid. I recently heard Chris on a podcast with Andrew Schuberman, and Chris was talking about the fact that there are actually CB1 receptors on the mitochondria. I found this to be very interesting because we know that in animal models, when linoleic acid is fed to mice and rats, this can turn into cannabinoids, 2-AG and AEA specifically, and those cannabinoids can trigger these CB1 receptors in the brain of animals, making them fat, sick, and unhealthy and metabolically unwell. Well, couldn't it also be the fact that if we eat linoleic acid, that linoleic acid could be turned into endogenous cannabinoids in our bodies, something we know that happens, and triggering CB1 receptors on mitochondria, creating some degree of mitochondrial dysfunction? I think there's a lot here that needs to be investigated, and perhaps we would see significant improvements in mental health along with other chronic illnesses if we just decrease people's linoleic acid intake. And this is going to have to do with mitochondrial health, metabolic health, CB1 receptors on mitochondria, but also CB1 receptors in the brain and CB1 cannabinoid 1 receptors in the gut. There are CB1 receptors in the gut. And if you listen to my podcast with Tucker Goodrich and Jeff Nobbs, you'll hear that linoleic acid also turns into endogenous cannabinoids in the gut and can trigger... CB1 receptor, cannabinoid receptors in the gut, leading to hunger, feelings of lack of satiety. And I think that leads to a lot of overeating that we're seeing in our culture today. Again, we're back to very, very simple fixes. Eat like our ancestors. And I know that sounds like an oversimplification or it sounds trite, but I think it's true. And it's why I believe in this so deeply. I visited the Hadza early in 2021. Look, they don't have seed oils other than the seed oils that the missionaries give them. There's very little seed oil in their diet, but they do actually get some now, unfortunately. They don't eat a lot of processed grains other than what missionaries give them from time to time. Most of their diet is meat and organs from animals they kill and hunt. They always eat the organs first. I saw it firsthand, including brains, which I ate with them. And when they eat carbohydrates, they're eating honey with uh, no regard 
for how it's going to knock them out of ketosis or any of these things. They eat honey, they love it, they eat berries, they will eat carbohydrates with incredible relish and they remain very metabolically healthy. So there's a lot of wisdom in where we've come from as humans, which is the blueprint for this animal-based diet. More recently, we domesticated animals. If you see cultures like the Maasai or the Samburu that have lots of raw dairy in their diet, they're not pasteurizing raw dairy in Tanzania or any other countries in Africa. So I think raw dairy is an incredibly valuable food for humans for so many reasons, as I've spoken about uh, on Instagram. And I think on the podcast, there's lots of good epidemiology to suggest that if you grow up eating, drinking raw milk, raw cheeses, whether you're on a farm or off a farm, you have a lower rate of asthma, eczema, and allergies as an adult. And again, it's associational research, but I think it's quite compelling. There are multiple studies that show this. There appear to be protective factors in raw dairy from an allergic perspective, which probably help with our immune system. So I think raw dairy and pasteurized dairy are very different things for humans. And I would recommend raw dairy in your life if you can tolerate it. If you can't tolerate it from a lactose perspective, do something like fermentation, get a yogurt, get a cheese or a kefir, which most of that lactose is going to be broken down. But from my own anecdotal experience, I can tell you that if I start with raw milk and I drink small amounts, a few tablespoons, half a cup per day, and then I work up, I do feel like the lactose intolerance that I've had throughout my adult life has gradually gotten better. And now I can drink at least a liter of raw milk per day without any major gastrointestinal distress that I certainly would have had in the past with that amount. So that's just my anecdote regarding lactose intolerance. Episode 168 was about LDL cholesterol and whether I worry about my quote, elevated LDL cholesterol. That is connected with the other episodes that I mentioned where I show my blood work. So if you listen to the July episode, the August episode or the December episode, those are 171, 179, and 193, respectively. You can see the trends in my cholesterol over that time. Interestingly, my LDL has trended down, and the most recent LDL in December was 130, with an ApoB that is now under 100. I still don't believe that ApoB is harmful to the endothelium directly. I had a really in-depth conversation with cardiologist Michael Twyman on episode 190, regarding atherosclerosis, the true drivers of atherosclerosis, which I believe are insulin resistance, impaired repair of endothelial cells, which is always going to be happening because we're always going to be denuding the endothelium of our inside blood vessels because we're always going to be damaging our blood vessels, which means that we're all going to have some process of fatty streaks and repair, but that doesn't mean we all need statins, contrary to what um, some well-known people in the nutrition space are suggesting today. I don't think there's any evidence that statins are good for humans. Long-term, if you haven't had a heart attack, certainly there is data that in secondary prevention, meaning if you've had a heart attack, statins may reduce your risk, but I think you could probably reduce your risk more with significant dietary changes on an intentional level. Now, are there people in the world who won't change their diets? Sure. Do I believe pharmaceuticals are entirely bad? No. Uh, I just think that they are being peddled to way too many people without the alternatives being discussed in a really authentic fashion because our doctors are overworked and they're not told about these alternatives and they're not challenged to think for themselves. Interestingly, in episode 183, I spoke to John Abramson about pharma corruption. That's a really interesting episode that I recommend you guys do not miss. We talked about multiple court cases involving Pfizer, AstraZeneca, I believe, Vioxx, other drugs, Bextra, and how the pharmaceutical companies go to great intentional lengths to both confuse us and mislead the consumers when it comes to real data regarding their drugs. Again, I don't believe all pharmaceutical companies are evil, but I think that the events of the last few years have really suggested that perhaps pharmaceutical companies don't have our best interests in mind. And let's be 
frank here, most doctors are fed information in medical school that is mostly funded by pharma. I speak about that with John Abramson. The majority of research is funded by pharma. So what are doctors learning, if not how to prescribe and dole out pills? I know I'm a doctor. I went to medical school. I went to residency. I got board certified. And listen, the majority of my education was how to give pills and how to manage the side effects of those pills with more pills. Never was I challenged to think about the root cause of an illness. Never was I taught about the nutritional basis of chronic illness or mental health or any of that stuff. So it's really saddening to me to, to state that to you guys. And that's why I do what I do. And it's really why I don't practice mainstream medicine anymore. I realized pretty quickly after my residency that I felt like I could do more good in the world and reach more of you in a positive way by doing education rather than by being a part of a hospital system that was going to limit what I could do for a little while there, after my residency, I did see clients virtually and worked with a lot of people over the years, really enjoyed that. But now most of what I do full-time is educational stuff because I think that this is the biggest reach and lever that I can have um, with regard to this. And I don't think there's enough doctors doing the educational part of it. So it's a fascinating thing to be a part of. I'm grateful to get to do this with my life, but I certainly didn't expect to do this when I was going to medical school residency or my training as a physician assistant in cardiology where I worked for four years before I went to medical school. So I've done podcasts in the past about my whole journey. I won't bore you guys with that right now. Episode 170 was about GI stuff, how to fix your gut. And I talked about the common misconception that fiber is beneficial for your gut microbiome. Uh, I don't know what metric people are using to advance what appears to be to me to be an empty narrative that fiber is somehow beneficial for your gut. Um, but fiber has not been shown to increase gut microbial diversity in multiple studies. What has been shown to increase gut microbial diversity is UV light from the sun or otherwise in a therapeutic setting and uh, fermented foods, whether this is yogurt, kefir, things like that. So those things increase microbial diversity of the gut. Fiber does not. Fiber has also been argued to be beneficial for our guts because fiber helps your gut microbiome create things like short-chain fatty acids. So sure, if you want to have a little bit of fiber in the form of fruit, honey also contains prebiotic starches, oligosaccharides that could be used uh, to make short-chain fatty acids in your gut. I don't think that most people are starving for enough fiber to make short-chain fatty acids in their gut. And I don't think more fiber is always better for the human gut in terms of short-chain fatty acids. I've also spoken about the fact in the past that there are multiple short-chain fatty acids beyond butyrate that can be used by the enterocytes of your colon for fuel, isobutyrate, acetate, propionate. There's great data regarding that. So I think that if you don't want to eat a lot of fiber or your gut feels better without tons of fiber, listen to that. I don't believe that's harming your gut in any way, shape, or form. And I certainly don't believe that humans should be fiber-fueled. That makes absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> I think you should be fueled by things like uh, protein is the building blocks, good sources of carbohydrates, fruit and honey, or um, lactose from milk, which is a disaccharide of glucose and galactose. But milk is a good source of carbohydrates as well. And I think you should get nutrients from organs. This is how I think humans thrive. And this is what I'm talking about with an animal-based diet. But I think in terms of your gut, you should also be aware that there are many emulsifiers and gums, gelan gums, xanthan gum, carrageenan, which can be very harmful for your gut. I would avoid those, and those are found in processed foods. Do your best to avoid those. In fact, avoid them religiously if you really want to have a healthy, thriving gut. I don't think that's stressed enough to people. And um, one of the last episodes of this year will be 
number 194 with Georgie Dinkov. That's a really interesting episode, probably one of my favorites of the whole year. But we talked about cornstarch being hidden in things like food in the Whole Foods food bar or high fructose corn syrup and how cornstarch could also be harmful for your gut. So when you go to the Whole Foods food bar, you should probably just give the big no, give them the, you know, the whole talk to the hand, don't even eat anything there. Because if you read the labels, you're going to be hard pressed to find anything at the Whole Foods food bar that doesn't have cornstarch or seed oils. Believe me, I've gone and done multiple reels there and I've read the labels there. They're, I think they're trying to do healthy, but again, they're kind of stuck in this vegan plant-based ideology that believes that polyunsaturated fatty acids rich in linoleic acid are somehow healthy or beneficial for humans, a stance that I disagree with quite vehemently. I also want to say, since we're talking about the gut, that I believe strongly artificial sweeteners are very harmful for your gut. There's good evidence that artificial sweeteners, stevia, sucralose, aspartame, interrupt quorum sensing, which is communication between bacteria. And that doesn't sound like a good thing to me in humans. You want the bacteria in your gut to be able to communicate. I don't think you want your microbiome to not be able to talk to each other or to interrupt quorum sensing. And I'm going to do a podcast on this early in 2023. There's some fascinating evidence from Dana Small's group at Yale University showing that when you pair an artificial sweetener, specifically sucralose, which is Splenda in her studies on humans, with a source of carbohydrates, insulin resistance goes through the roof, meaning that when the body sees mismatched levels of sweetness and nutrients, that being calories associated with sugars, we see massive impairments in insulin sensitivity this is a real problem that no one is talking about with regard to artificial sweeteners. What Dana Small's group found was that if you just give someone an artificial sweetener sucralose, they don't see a problem in terms of the insulin stuff. I think it could still impair quorum sensing in the gut. But if you pair that artificial sweetener with a carbohydrate, and you guys must ask yourself, how often do you drink a Diet Coke with a piece of food that has carbohydrates in it? versus just drinking a Diet Coke and nothing else. And there are over 3,000 foods commercially available in any grocery store that pair sucralose with sugars to make them sweeter because sucralose is perceived as sweet by the brain. There's a ton of pairing of artificial sweeteners like sucralose and calories from carbohydrates that are completely messing up our metabolism. And no one is talking about this. Artificial sweeteners are garbage get them out of your life. If you listen to episode 194 with Georgie Dinkov, you also know that there's a difference between what happens when you eat high fructose corn syrup and when you just eat a sugar. Even according to Georgie, which is something that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, pure sucrose, I'm more a fan of fruit and honey, but there's a big difference between high fructose corn syrup and all the other sugars out there because this sugar appears to cause excess weight gain. It has oligosaccharides, cornstarch in it, which may be damaging to the gut like we talked about. And it causes, as I said, it causes more weight gain on a calorie per calorie basis when compared to something like sucrose, meaning it either has hidden calories or it's causing excess cortisol or inflammation or it's messing up metabolism. High fructose corn syrup is really a problem for humans on a calorie per calorie basis. It is not equivalent to sucrose. Most of you know that high fructose corn syrup is a problem, but the crazy thing that came out of the conversation with Georgie is that most other sugars may not be a problem for humans, especially sugars in things like fruit and honey or maple syrup which I don't think are harmful for humans at all. And I've shown this with CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, with my blood work showing my fasting insulin, all these things, my hemoglobin A1C, et cetera. So that's really interesting. So I think that here's the takeaway from that perspective. And I told this to my sister today who has two children. I have a niece and a nephew. I said, 
my recommendation would be don't give them anything with high fructose corn syrup and don't give them anything with artificial sweeteners. But if the kids want to eat honey or maple syrup, I don't see evidence that that's harmful for them. Obviously, that's not all I want my niece and nephew eating. I would like them to eat meat. They get organs. They take hardened soil supplements. They get hamburger. They get fruit. And my sister even feeds them gluten from time to time. And I ask her why she does that. And we're trying to work on getting that a little better for them. Um, I'm not a fan of gluten, obviously. But uh, that, I think, is a really important maxim for you. If you have kids or you're feeding yourself, avoid seed oils, avoid artificial sweeteners, and avoid high fructose corn syrup, and you will get better. You will lose weight. You will feel better. And no one will understand it. But those three simple things... I think that the devil's in the details because it is so hard for most of us to concentrate on so many pieces of this equation. But my hope is that by helping you focus on the really important problematic things in your foods, seed oils, corn, canola, sunflower, safflower, peanut, soybean, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial sweeteners, if you get rid of those things, I think you will absolutely thrive in a bigger way. That cannot be repeated enough. That should be bold, repeated, echo on the podcast. That's the most important line in this whole podcast, guys. That's the thing I've learned in 2022. That's my summary of 2022 for you. But I'm going to do a couple more podcasts before I wrap this up. I mentioned a little bit about an animal-based diet earlier in this podcast. If you want to know how I construct an animal-based diet and my chronometer, which is a detailed nutritional analysis of my diet, look at episode 192, preferably on YouTube, where I take you through the chronometer uh, which is an online tool looking at nutrients of my animal-based diet. Again, we've got a free calculator for macros at carnivoremd.com, and you can join us for Animal Base 30 with hardened soil. So there's tons of resources, but lo and behold, my animal-based diet is not deficient in anything. There's tons of magnesium and manganese and thiamine, whatever else people think is going to be deficient in my diet. It's all there on Chronometer, um, and Chronometer actually does a very poor job of looking at vitamin K2. They say that they don't actually calculate vitamin K2 in foods, which is ludicrous to me. And I think the one other problem with chronometer, I'm sure there are a few hiccups in the algorithm, uh, is that it doesn't account for vitamin E in animal foods, specifically animal fat. I've done lots of blood work in the past looking at vitamin E levels in the blood when I was eating pure carnivore and eating no seed oils or nuts or I don't know whatever else people think has vitamin E in it. My vitamin E was above the reference range for normal. So there's plenty of vitamin E in animal fat, guys. Butter, tallow, ghee, the fat on your ribeye, the fat in your ground beef. But episode 192 is my chronometer breakdown. If you really want to see brass tacks of what is in my animal-based diet, how to construct it. And again, there's plenty of resources if you want to construct your own animal-based diet. Episode 180 was about how to lose weight. I'll give you the, the quick synopsis there. Don't count calories. If you want to go hypocaloric, I think it's a wrong decision long-term. I don't think calories in is always equal to calories out. I think there are so many things that affect calories out. The quality of your calories in can affect calories out. Seed oils, we talked about high fructose corn syrup, starches, inflammation. The quality of your diet is king. I think that if you eat a non-processed diet, we've seen this in the studies with Kevin Hall and others. I've spoken about that many times. If you eat a non-processed diet of meat, and organs, and fruit, and honey, and raw dairy, and you avoid high fructose corn syrup, and seed oils, and artificial sweeteners, you will lose weight. I don't even care how much you're eating. Unless you're physically forcing yourself and overeating, if you're eating to satiety, you will lose weight, and you will feel better on that diet. That is my assertion. That is what I believe. That is what I've seen over and over. The calories in, calories out 
acolytes will just blow their heads are exploding right now. Like atom bomb from garbage pail kids. I don't care because I think that food quality is king. And if you don't improve food quality and you try and count calories, you will hamper your long-term weight loss and health. I spoke about that with Georgie Dinkov in episode 194. People in The Biggest Loser, they gained all the weight back plus more. Don't impair your metabolism. Don't tank your thyroid, which is what happens when you restrict calories or you restrict carbohydrates, guys. So how to lose weight, don't count calories. Eat high-quality food. Obviously, I've gone into great detail on what I think the high-quality foods you should be eating are. So last but not least, I mentioned episode 194 with Georgie Dinkov quite a few times. It's a really interesting episode. He is into the Ray Pete stuff. Um, I know Ray Pete died recently. Ray, Ray was a really interesting guy with a lot of original ideas. And so it was really cool to have Georgie on and talk about some of those. I'm still wrapping my head around some of them, but I find a lot of that to be really fascinating. And I think you guys will benefit from it. I think you'll learn a lot in that Georgie Dinkov episode. It's quite technical. We talk about high fructose corn syrup, many other things like that, PUFAs, estrogen, serotonin, but uh, yeah, listen to that one with Georgie Dinkov. So that's my 2022 wrap up. I, I learned a lot this year and I hope you guys did too. If you think any of these podcasts would be beneficial for anyone you know, please send them my podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever. My podcast is obviously called Fundamental Health. If you're watching this on YouTube and didn't know that, it's called Fundamental Health. And I hope this stuff has been helpful for you. If you have ideas or requests for topics that I might cover in 2023, please put them in the comments on YouTube or send um, your recommendations or um, ideas to info at carnivoremd.com. And I will consider that for 2023 topics. I'm looking forward to 2023. The world is in a crazy place right now, but I think we will all get through this. Um, and I hope for all of you that you have an amazing New Year's, a safe New Year's, and that over the holidays, you make good food choices. And if you don't make good food choices, that you get back into a position where you can leverage positive health choices with the foods you're eating in 2023. Again, join us for Animal Base 30. It's a free 30-day Animal Base challenge with heart and soil supplements at animalbase30.com. That's it. I'm out. See you guys next week.